0: Welcome to the Quack12 Podcast, the most official, unofficial, Oregon Ducks podcast on the web footosphere. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, at Quack12Podcast, or visit our website, Quack 12 podcastcom If you like what you hear, please leave us five stars on your listening device. And if you'd like to support the show, please visit the Quack12 Patreon page, where for a measly five dollars a month, you can become an official Quackie and unlock hundreds of hours of Oregon Duck content. On to the show. Quack, quack. It's the Holiday Bowl season. That's right, everyone. We just got a Holiday Bowl win by the grace of Camden Lewis's foot. Oh man, I love it. That's really, I can talk to my guest here, uh, Hithliday, at Hithliday1 on Twitter, the managing editor of Addicted to Quack, the resident film reviewer of, well, basically the unofficial Oregon Ducks resident film reviewer uh, for the internet, for everyone. Everyone loves this guy. Hithliday, back on the pod. Um, we're planning on talking about Camden Lewis's kick for about two hours here how it went in, the beautiful sound that resonated afterwards.
1: I, I, I went and found other like fans who were at the game and were shooting it with their cell phone, which normally I'm like, dude, just watch the game. You know, like any yeah. sort of live event, you know, concert or anything else. I'm just like, just watch, man. But You're like, there. no, I'm I'm so glad there are so many different camera angles of the doink in, like it makes such a, a resonant sound. I think that it should have been worth extra points. Like <laughs> I think if you dwink in it, it should be that should be that's like a two point conversion, not just a one point pat. Like
0: You realize it really is just kind of like a, a tuning fork. Is that yeah, what they call it's a it? Giant yeah. Giant
1: tuning fork, yeah, exactly.
0: And then I love when he's walking away, like hands up in the air, like and like that's his that's his final college kick. And that really That the the don't ask me, bro. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, just him. Him just with his hands up in the air felt like that's uh, enough college football for me. I'm I'm out of (laughs) here. And with his career, like oh man, I love
1: that guy. It's been such a wild ride with him. I mean, like, if you average his entire career over the the course, you know, the span of Oregon, a doink in in is like, yeah, that's exactly in the middle of Cam mm-hmm. Lewis's career. And you hold in your breath for like a, yeah. a point after a touchdown, just like this
0: means everything, and like this is the yeah, it, it, it was wonderful, um, and it. Highlighted like a special teams a night of special teams plays that weren't very fun to watch for the Ducks overall. Yeah, like
1: low key Oregon special teams has really you know there's been a lot of people calling for Joe Lorig's head. You know the the um, Mm -hmm. the the special teams coach, and also he coaches the Nickelbacks, which as far as I can tell is two guys, um, uh, Jamal (laughs) and Bennett Williams, who I think had good seasons. Um, But like the thing is, Oregon special teams for like 11 games were pretty good. Um Like they were in the sense of like, they avoided disasters or anything, you know, but for a couple of games, there was like, there was a run of like, those were not very good decisions, you know, about kick returns. Um And then there's just like, just like four catastrophes against Oregon state. And then in this game, just like, yeah man like they they gave up that long kick return uh they they let a punt roll down to the 1 yard line like like special teams sort of like low key gross at the end of the year um, and high it, key gross against well, yeah, the beavers <laughs> true um and like yeah it really affected games you know like a lot of times it's sort of like it's margins it's field position which like you know field position is important um but like you know, if you have an explosive offense, if you start, you know, 10 yards back, well, you just make one more 10 yard play, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, like, I don't, I don't know, special teams are, the other thing about special teams is that like, unlike the offense and the defense, which are sort of like integrated, even though there's different aspects of, them, you know, there's run and there's pass and there's outside and inside and zone and man and so forth, like they're sort of like part of an integrated whole. Um, and they even sort of talk to each other. Uh, special teams is so varied, you know, like what you're doing kicking point after touchdowns versus when you're returning punts versus when your mm-hmm. onside kick strategy, like they're all of those are so like, wildly different To just like saying blanket, like special teams good or special teams bad, like I, I feel like is way too much of an oversimplification. And frankly, I have that problem with a lot of advanced stats. Um, uh, you know they just have a single category for special teams and I'm like what do you do with the team that's like that nails every single field goal and is a threat to kick from 50 yards out but also they you know always wave off the kick return like uh, yeah you know I, like
0: I, I completely agree what do
1: you think about uh the decision of Bucky Irving returning those balls I was um, kind of nervous <laughs> it, now that they've now that they've made the rule change, um, uh, the, that lets you wave it off for, for yeah. 25 yards, the, the injury rate has gone way down on kickoffs to the point where I, I don't really, I don't, we I, I don't, returning on special teams is no more dangerous than any other play. And since I was definitely in favor of Bucky Irving playing more in this game, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I don't you know really care about that the really dangerous ones uh the this study is pretty well documented that like the really dangerous kick returns are the ones where you're sort of forced to return from the one yard line and because it gives the opponent the ability to run all the way up to full speed and and collide with you that winds up being like a something like a a 50 mile an hour collision um Which, like, yeah, those get really dangerous. Um, but the, the allowing the blocks to develop the way that they do, the, the injury rate tends to go way down, you know, in the modern, with the modern rules. So I don't really worry about that stuff. That's fair enough.
0: Um, I mean, I think every Duck fan wanted as much Bucky Irving as he could possibly get. especially after the 66 yard touchdown.
1: There's a big, there's a big disparity in this game between um, running back numbers, which really doesn't show up in any other game. Um, But like definitely in this game, Irving um, had a way better yards per carry than Whittington. Um, Although a lot of that is they're sort of being selected to run different plays. Um, I, I don't, there's there, some people came back out of the woodwork to be like, a, I hate Noah Whittington, uh, you know, crowd, <laughs> but like, I don't really think the data supports it. A- and even if it does in one game, it's one game. Like, um, you know, g- give me like anybody's basing conclusions on one game is a, is a dope. Um, so let's talk about this one game, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Specifically just this one game. Um, Well,
0: I think something that a lot of people immediately took away, and I hate to speculate anything about this, about like any, like, oh, clearly he's feeling 80%, 70%. 90 percent, but it does it did feel like bonix maybe wasn't a hundred percent
1: i i think that's probably true but you know what's interesting is that you know i formed that opinion um while i was watching the game live and then as i'm reviewing the game i'm just like you know for a guy who's supposedly not at a hundred percent he's you know he was doing a lot of rollouts um yeah. like where he looked good like you know those bootlegs that look immaculate um you know he didn't look like he was having on the other hand number one when he was running he definitely seemed like way more eager to protect himself mm-hmm. than in fact probably over eager um you know there's a couple of times where it's like dude if you're if you're going to go down that you know easily like you need to not be you know running the ball although there are a couple of times where it's fairly clear that Oregon um the the Utah thing wasn't happening. In other words, the Utah did a better job against Oregon's run game than any other team, largely because they knew that Knicks was no threat to run, and so they could just lock down on the the running back. Uh, right. North Carolina was not able to do that. In fact, I'll I'll have at least one clip in my article um, that'll go up tomorrow. That's a that's like look, this run is succeeding because they're honoring Bo Nix's threat to run, even though he's not much of a threat to run. He just needs to be something of a threat to run Mm -hmm. to affect the defense and, like, mission accomplished. So, like, eh, that's not really a big deal. The thing that was not... Okay, so Oregon's offensive output in this game was not what it should have been. Um, it's not what it was all year long, and it's um, and it was against like a pretty bad defense and one that was missing a bunch of starters. So like that's a that's a puzzle. Um, it's actually pretty much the primary puzzle that you're trying to solve in this game. Um, I guess there's a defensive puzzle too, which is like why didn't North Carolina score more points? Although that one has a little more readily obvious answers. Um, the here's what happens with Oregon's, uh, and basically what it, you know. And the run game ain't the problem. Oregon's running at a seventy percent success rate and six point three yards per carry, you know, against this defense. So, against North Carolina's defense, so the run game's not part of it. Um, the passing offense is that, is still pretty efficient, is sixty percent, um, which is you know championship caliber. It's not quite as good as in in previous games, but here's the thing: is there Um, their yards per passing attempt is, was only seven, um, 7.0 exactly actually. Um, and which is much lower. It's like two yards or more lower than, um, than their typical season performance, which against a bad defense, it should have been higher, not lower. Um, and their explosive play rate was lower too. So efficiency about the same, but, um, but explosive play rate lower. So, you know, why can this be? And I basically, there's three theories and, and spoiler alert, I wind up thinking that all of them are a little bit true, um, but none of them sort of are like a totalizing explanation for all of it. Um, The, 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 so that's theory number one that like Bo Nix is is still sort of injured I think that's sort of true it sort of affects the run game in that the couple of times he kept it, he didn't really get much yards mm-hmm. I sort of think it effect is still affecting his accuracy like the thing that I've been raving about Bo Nix for like 10 or 11 games was that like he's a hyper accurate quarterback like I never see him misplace a ball and then the last couple of weeks you know including the bowl game I see him misplace balls you know like it's not You know, it's like Anthony Brown stuff, you know, it's just like, wow, dude, like, where was that ball going? Um, It's not a ton of them, though. There's really only like two or three passes in this game that are like that. But like when you're used to that number being zero, like... Yeah, that's you know that can make a difference between. I mean, the interception
0: and... was a, a misplaced ball. Would you say that?
1: Yeah, th- that was a misplaced ball, although it was sort of on a scramble. Um, but there's, I mm. mean, there's other ones where it's like it's clearly a hundred percent on Nick's, where he's like it's a clean pocket or clean enough, like he's 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 um he's he may have moved out of the pocket, but he's had time to like set up and throw, and so you can't say it's like oh it's happening under pressure or something like where it's just like wow dude that like what what the hell is that um and like look you know Oregon has nine meaningful possessions in this game they score touchdowns on four of them the interception was a crazy fluke play you know that probably would have ended in in, in a <laughs> touchdown you yeah. know, but that like, it, I mean, bounces off of two different dudes' legs. Like, that was flipping nuts, dude. Like, that's God hates the Ducks stuff. You know, that, like, that was,
0: I, it just kind of, I mean, obviously it was surprising, but as a Duck fan, it also just felt like, no, no, that was, that was meant to be, that was always yeah, going to happen. God, God hates
1: the Ducks, man. Um, <laughs> you know, so it, it, it's like, okay, so they score, you know, in, in a game in which they have nine, um, possessions that typically oregon would score points on seven of them that you know it'd be either you know five or six touchdowns and one or two field goals and then two empty possessions Mm -hmm. so basically they had um three more empty possessions than they should have had one of them uh it was the crazy interception sort of write that off as like a crazy fluke yeah that's like theory number two by the way is like oh it's just crazy flukes you know which you know i put that one in that category i put like so one of the the second drive uh, ends without points because uh, tj bass gives up a sack that's um, right and and coda uh has a ball like knocked out of his hands which like like that's those are crazy things that never happen coda's like the most short-handed receiver ever bass is one of the best tackles mm-hmm. in the country like um, like the you know you can put that and the interception in the like crazy fluke bucket. Yeah, but, the UNC defense is not very good at doing either of those things. Yeah, exactly. So like you've got the 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 Bone nicks is not throwing balls accurately bucket that explains some but not all of it. You've got the crazy fluke bucket like giving up a sack which famously Oregon gave up like no sacks this year Mm -hmm. um and and this defense doesn't force sacks so you can put you know that you you know the the crazy you know fluke bucket um and then the third bucket um is uh you know not having Kenny Dillingham and um like I do think that there are and like this one takes the, it, I don't think this is the the major effect on the game, but I do think it it's the thing that takes like the longest to explain. So number one is they're not really throwing the ball deep, um, very much, uh, or like sub point A of bucket three. Uh, for, See, for I need who are keeping bucket, an outline at home. <laughs> I need a bucket
0: like sound drop because there's been many there's been many bucket talk over the year with you.
1: I'm just um, saying much bucket talk. S- sub point A. Um, is oh, they're sub-bank. not throwing deep until the end of the game, which is mm. very peculiar because they're going up against like backup cornerbacks. And it's definitely a vulnerability for North Carolina. And the reason that I think that is, is because of subpoint point B, um, which is um, North Carolina. One of the things that I observed in film study is that they are playing the nickel package, regardless of what, how the offense lines up. And, and I think that Oregon, recognize that. And I, and, and, and as a result, they played the, almost the entirety of the game in 12 personnel. Um, but then the problem with that. And so they were like, well, we'll get a big rushing advantage off of this. And also we want to run the ball to keep the ball out of Drake May's hands. Remember from the end of our conversation with Isaac, that was, you know, we both agree that the way that Oregon needs to win this game is to sit on the, you know, sit on the ball and not let Drake may, you know, destroy them. So I think that that was their strategy going into the game. I think that's why they went to 12 personnel. I think their idea was that they were going to run the ball constantly. I think what they wanted to do was build up a lead and then sit on it with the run game and do it with 12 personnel against a defense that can't stop it. And I think that that would have been a viable strategy had they built up a quick lead, but instead the interception happened, right? Like if they had won the middle eight, which was their plan. Right. Mm-hmm. And they were going to with that, inner, you know, going into that because that was like a, a masterfully um, uh, choreographed drive to get them. You know, it it, it would have, you know, it would have made the game twenty one to seven going into halftime because we're going to run out the clock getting that touchdown. Right.
0: Yeah. And if
1: it's twenty one to, and instead it flips around, it becomes uh you know 21 14 the other way right like so if oregon goes up like two scores and they shut the game down with the run game like yeah Mm -hmm. that was probably the strategy that was probably terrence
0: ferguson just tearing them up and and having a great game bonix ran on that drive even
1: yeah yeah well ferguson had a great game regardless but like you know my point is that their like high level strategy was probably get a lead sit on it with the run game Mm -hmm. um and i think that that explains why they were in 12 personnel for most of the game i think that explains why they're running the ball for much of the game i think that explains why they weren't throwing the ball downfield because throwing the ball downfield speeds up the clock right yeah. it means that your possession is over sooner right um and, and therefore that you know the opponent gets the ball back sooner and putting in 12 personnel with dante thornton out means that you're only two wide receivers on the it means that you're the only three wide receivers they're really playing in this game were troy franklin chris hudson and chase coda and only franklin of those three are burners Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 you know, when you're in 12 personnel, you've only got two of those three guys. And so if they've got Franklin on any other play than, a, you know, than burning down the sideline, which they did on a lot of plays, it means you don't have a deep thread in when you're playing 12. Mm-hmm. And, and like, cause, cause their tight ends aren't really burners uh Hudson isn't you know the 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 running backs aren't, aren't aren't in that sense and and also North Carolina really sold out to stop wheel routes we're starting to get technical but like um so i think the fact that you know Oregon's strategy basically conflicted with the reality of the game which is that they needed to put more um burners on the field and stretch the the, the field vertically and and fortunately, Oregon figured that out by the final two possessions of the game in which that's exactly what they did. They yeah. went to 11 personnel and started throwing it deep and burning Carolina. You know, it's like what they should have been doing earlier in the game. And I think that maybe Kenny Dillingham maybe would have made that realization. Um, but the but the not full-time offensive coordinator, whoever was calling the game, I, I think it was Adams and Marringer, like – you know it, it That's didn't
0: what rob mostly said so i'm guessing that
1: yeah so basically they come back from halftime and it's it's a three and out um it's that weird thing where they have to punt but then they get a redemption um you know on the seventh possession um you know because they had an illegal substitution um yeah. and uh <laughs> And then another uh, drive in which, you know, they, they turn it over on downs um, in which basically they, they actually moved the ball pretty well, but then they had four kind of like gross plays, Um, you know, including like the the one play that's going to be in my article where like, I I just really don't like the play design and, and the fact that they're running it out of 12, like there's no stretch to the field and, you know, the defense can actually defend it, you know, fairly well. And then Oregon sort of wakes up and they go to 11 and they throw the ball because kind of because the clock is forcing to. Yeah, you know, I'm not sure that they really had a brainwave or anything or they realized what their problem was. Just sort of the clock put them in that position. But hey, you know. I and thought then it was Bo really... Nix starts throwing accurate passes that's the thing that really like means that it's it's why I have a hard time just saying oh it's this one thing mm-hmm. because like his inaccurate passes come during weird moments um, and he gets super accurate when you know when the, when the when the game's on the line you know so like just saying oh there was something wrong with Bo Nix and that explains all of it like it it can't possibly explain all of it like it, it doesn't fit the data well enough I thought it was uh,
0: funny those two like crucial defensive pass interferences that uh, you know late in the game when yeah. he is starting to bomb it down. Right, I was exactly. Wondering, of the course. UNC secondary. I was wondering is because they were not looking back. Is it like is it because all game they didn't have to look back, or is that just the UNC secondary?
1: Well, that probably the latter. Um, yeah. I mean, they were, they had to play two new cornerbacks. Like they, they, you yeah. know, they're really hurting. Um, And, and, and you know, the Oregon probably would have earned some more defensive pass interference penalties earlier in the game. Had they been, you know, and it's not like this was a flag happy crew. Like no. this referee crew really let them played. Um, like they, they really kept their flags in the pockets for most of the game. And like those DPI flags were deaf. I mean, it was, yeah, those were the right flags. You know, those were totally appropriate flags. Um, And, uh, and yeah, we're going to earn them because, you know, the receivers burned them Um, and, and, uh, and the the DB had to do that. And, And like, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, but I I I really wish Oregon's play callers had figured that one out earlier. Um, it wouldn't have been as dramatic, though. You know, <laughs> but you but you know, but but we've just been talking about buckets one and three. You you also can't discount bucket two, the the fluke bucket. Like it's yeah. that interception was so bizarre, mm-hmm. and and it, it was going to be one another uh, yet another one of these like masterfully. One of the reasons why I really do actually have not lost faith in Lanning whatsoever is that I don't see anybody like masterfully engineering that sort of final possession of the first half drive, you know, in terms of clock management, like nobody does that that well. Um, Mm. So like, you know, to consistently do it every single time to, to get the touchdown on the final possession, you know, and you Mm -hmm. can know, you can watch them adjusting tempo during, the drive too it's like okay we need to do this stuff quick because we've mm-hmm. only got four minutes so we need to get like close enough okay now we can slow it down and like you can, like they're it's not an accident it's it's what they're the, the, you know it's not just running a good offense and of course a good offense scores i can tell you they are very deliberately managing the clock and for then their greatest strength, the managed clock final possession touchdown of the first half to create mm-hmm. a big lead. So then you can shut it down in the third quarter, like which they had done in, you know, so many different games. Like for that, their greatest strength to blow up in their face with that <laughs> insane bounce off two dudes legs interception. Yeah, that's a like God hates the ducks kind of moment, you know, like <laughs> that's a you got to be kidding me, you know, kind of thing. And so, and like everything else is on schedule, right? Like the rest of the game is on schedule. If they get that, if they get that touchdown, you know, they go up, you know, with 21 points and they, they get the the ball to start the second half and they could just sort of lock it down, but instead they get the ball, you know, when they're behind and they can't just run the ball, you know, to run out the game, you know, like, yeah,
0: man. What did go according to plan though, is in the in the third quarter and the fourth quarter, surprisingly, the defense really did step up. I mean, that, that was what kept us in this game, what made it a game. And uh, I wanted to know uh, your thoughts on Keith Brown, Jeffrey Bossa, both, you know, obviously stepping in. And uh, like both of them had played a good amount throughout the season. But what do you think of them in this particular game?
1: They graded up pretty well, considering that, uh, especially Keith Brown, this is his first time starting. Um, you know, I do have negative plays on my tally sheet for them. Um, in fact, the dude who has the most negative plays um, on my tally sheet is Keith Brown, but he has a bunch of good plays, too. Um, and a, a lot of times I sort of I sort of think that North Carolina knew that uh, Oregon was going to be having to replace Noah Sewell, and so some plays were sort of designed to attack him. Mm-hmm. Um the other thing that should be said is that uh Oregon was um pretty substantially playing number 35 Micah Roth who's a walk-on um and like a couple of plays he has a couple of good plays he has a couple of bad plays too um um but I I think like a lot of people might have looked at his jersey number and thought they were seeing 33 because I saw a lot of criticism online for for Jeff in this game and I'm like ooh, I think you were actually watching Micah Roth um anyway uh the the linebacker play was uh was okay in this game. The two uh, areas that and look you know Oregon's going to have to make some decisions going forward about linebacker you know mm-hmm. because of all the dudes who've who've left you know Justin Flo and Noah Sewell and Jackson Laduke um and these two may be your starters for next year in uh, in which case I, I hope they get better um like I, I they're not where they need to be yet at this point um. I, But you know, I do. I do like Brown's instincts for the ball. I think they're pretty good, and I really like Boss's football IQ. I just wish you were bigger. Um, Mm. I am interested to see um, what the freshmen uh, can do. uh, uh, Taggart and Jackson. Um, I was a little surprised that they weren't playing at all in this game. I would have liked to see them get some time. Um, The and Oregon's got some new you know uh uh, you know they've got a transfer from Iowa they've got uh uh, you know we're we're just gonna see how this linebacker unit develops it's definitely the thing that I'm gonna be like paying attention to the most um in the offseason because it's sort of like the the big outstanding question for Mm -hmm. Oregon is this linebacker unit um especially um, how it's such a interesting position where it's like well you had two five stars there who had some
0: great plays but also just in general the the play from that group was and, you know, like was definitely uh, hurting us at some points and you're replacing them. And now you got to I mean, it's better to have experience and, and talent than nothing else.
1: I but still, yeah. I just this is reading the tea leaves. It's it's total speculation on my part, but I suspect that there are going to be some transfers after bowl game. Well, there's definitely going to be some transfers out from Oregon after this bowl game. Mm-hmm. Um th- There need to be, you know, with with the class that they signed um, and and they're they're way over the roster cap right now. Um, they can't keep everybody who they signed, plus everybody who has not yet declared that they are either going pro or, you know, retiring from football or transferring out. Um, so at least, I don't know, like seven, eight, maybe nine guys extra, you know, are, are going to need to transfer out. That is true of many other teams who still have bowl games to play. And the teams who still have bowl games to play are pretty good teams, right? You know, we're getting in the new, the New Year's games. Um, I suspect that Oregon probably has a silent commitment or two from some other linebacker in a team mm-hmm. that's still up for playing a bowl game right now. Um, again, I have zero confirmation of this, zero inside knowledge. This is I'm going to assume Georgia. That's just this me. is just, just me putting two and two together. It's that's not a bad guess. Dan any coach there and recruited those guys, right? Um, We'll look up the Georgia backups. That's what I need to <laughs> like line up Well, it's also it's also you know Oregon also has to um uh, replace Matt Pallett who's um, going back mm. to Baylor to be their defensive coordinator um right now um uh, Demetrius Martin coaches the cornerbacks only um and but he has experience coaching the entire secondary um. And Tosh LePoy is the defensive coordinator, but he also has the linebackers. And so one way they could solve this problem is to have Martin expand his book to uh, all, the entire secondary and hire a dedicated linebackers coach um, to take that off of LaPoi's plate. Um, and it may be that they do like a Carlos Lachlan or... Demetrius Martin, you know, type of thing where they they get you plus, you know, a good transfer from your school. Mm-hmm. So, I I have this theory and again, I have zero inside knowledge <laughs> like this is, you know, I'm just me reading the tea leaves and putting two and two together. But I have this theory that Oregon is going to not hire a safeties coach, but rather hire a linebackers coach and that that linebacker coach will come with a transfer linebacker and Oregon fans will like what they see. Um, This is again, do not quote me for any (laughs) inside knowledge on this. It's just, I, it's a suspicion that I have this is the podcast for speculation though so thank you for bringing that to that fact to our table
0: hey podcast listen hey come you. over here come yeah. over here get over here yeah. pon- nice headphones you got in here
1: oh yeah i like those chevy
0: be shame if something were to happen to those headphones huh eh? stomped them on the ground eh Be real easy to avoid that smashing if you went over to the Quack12 Twitter account and gave us a little follow. Just a little follow, that's all we're asking. And hey, look at that. I hear you're listening to your new podcast apps in your car, huh? Driving home, making the long journey feel a little shorter, eh? Is that what he's doing there, bud? (laughs) Yeah, turning your three hour drive into a nice little vacation, huh? Be a shame if your car ended up on the bottom of a lake. Splash. Splash, maybe with you in the trunk of it, huh? Glug, glug, guzzle, guzzle. Maybe all that can be avoided with a little trip to the Quack 12 page on Apple Podcasts. All you gotta do is go to Apple Podcasts, Quack 12, give us five stars. Yeah, the internet, you got it, bud five stars leave us a little comment help other people find it maybe it'll help people find you when they find out that you're gone missing if you catch my drift you seen the posters on
1: the telephone poles
0: yeah those are those are people that didn't give us five stars some of them did and we did it anyways and then uh you know what uh, oh hey hey look it look at this podcast listen. On their long inner inner uh, continental flight. Making things not so bad. Not wanting to hear that baby
1: whay, by covering whay. it up.
0: Wah wah, so they say. Putting on them headphones. Trying to get the sky waitress's attention.
1: To get over here. Give me more of that Quack Twelve Podcast.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why don't you yeah, you want some more of that quack twelve podcast, don't you? You want to buy some more from us, don't you? Get it. Otherwise, you know, because if you don't buy this Quack 12 Podcast insurance, you never know when your plane's going to go straight down into the water, into the old Atlantic. Never to be seen again.
1: Glug, glug, guzzle, guzzle.
0: In case you don't want to be part of the rock and roller club of the bottom of the fucking ocean, then I recommend you go to the Quack 12 Patreon. Come on, come on. Why don't you go to the Quack 12 Patreon, give us five smackaroos, and for that we can forget about the whole nasty business, have you on your way. Forget about it. We'll forget about it, all right? Five measly dollars, that's all I got. Now listen up, punk. Because it looks like you're not seeing so good right now. My
1: boss is talking to you, chump.
0: Aren't you, chump? Yeah, <laughs> that's what I thought. That's what I thought. Alright, oh, let, him, let him go, Mikey. Let him go. In the bottom of the ocean. Ayo! Quack, quack.
1: I mean, I guess I'll put it this way. If you're asking my opinion, you know, coming out of the bowl game is what I saw out of Keith Brown and Jeffrey Bassa telling me that um, Oregon doesn't need any linebacker help and people should stay away from Oregon's linebacker room because it's a lockdown. No, that's not what I saw in the holiday. Ball. I get you. Uh,
0: the second half saw a, a big play. Like, I, I mean, on we held him to six points. How did we do that? How did this I, defense do that?
1: I don't. I thought that, that there might have been some defensive adjustments and was really looking for them when I was doing film study. And to be perfectly honest, I didn't really find any. Um, the success rates are basically the same first half and second half. Mm-hmm. They basically, I mean, I guess there's one thing, which is they did not they only defended Drake may scrambling once successfully. And it happened in the second half. And frankly, it saves a touchdown. It was the one where, or Casey Rogers, you know, tackles him. That's right. Um, yeah. And it kind of looks like a horse collar for a second. It's not, mm-hmm. but like, it kind of looks cat- like a
0: fumble, like a second. Yeah. It's right.
1: Um, um. And there's a bit of a change there in the way that Bossa is playing that, um, which is, he's doing a little bit more spying, but really this, uh, in my article, I said there's two ways to contain Drake May. One is to rush three and drop eight and really just clog it up. Oregon didn't pursue that strategy, which I'm kind of curious about. Um, and the, the, But the, the, the reason why I sort of thought that they might is that you can combine that strategy with another thing, which is really essential for stopping him scrambling and his quarterback draw plays. And that is you rush three and you keep your fourth guy out to spy him. And I saw a bunch of teams do that pretty successfully, including North Carolina State. Um, Oregon didn't really pursue that strategy um, and Drake May scrambled all over him you know frankly you know mm-hmm. they, uh, and I frankly I think that the fact that they you know got one in the second half well they were going to get one you know like if he does it nine times you know you, he's not going to get away with it nine times he's going to get away with it eight times you know <laughs> I, I, but they did sort of like change up a little bit so I don't know maybe they learned something but like I sort of think that's a coincidence I mean it's one of these things where it's like if you flip a coin six times you know, sometimes it's going to land heads three times and tails three times. It doesn't mean that anything changed. Like it just paid hey, probabilities. You know, that, that's how it works. Um, instead, Oregon pursued the, the second strategy that I thought would be effective, which was blitzing. They blitzed a lot in this game, <laughs> way more than they had blitzed in previous games. Um, and it was pretty effective. Like, they, they generated a few sacks. They generated some throwaways. They definitely, like, affected the passer. Um, and he simply wasn't pulling off a lot of the miracles that he was pulling off in previous games, which I think largely has to do with the fact they're out their top two receivers. Josh Downs is a real miracle maker. And um, and number three uh, – uh, uh, oh, gosh, his name is escaping me already. Um, they the, the are ready for top, that, UNC? Green, Antoine Antoine Green. Um, oh, actually God. Isaac Isaac really nailed this remember we were talking about they have two receivers named green um and, <laughs> and Antoine green who's their your deep threat but he surprised everybody by not playing he was apparently a late scratch um for this game um and so that really hurt uh North Carolina they, they only really had one deep threat receiver uh left uh JJ uh uh uh, uh, Jones, a uh, number five. Um, and, you know, Oregon basically had him locked down, which uh, Andy dropped the ball a couple of times, although film study predicted that. Um and so, like, they were really sort of hurting the wide receiver core, you know, to be perfectly honest. Um, and, and Oregon did a better job in coverage, um, frankly, against a lot of those dudes um, than I think previous games would have indicated. Like, people are really down on Oregon's DB group, and and I don't think they've been the best in the world, but they did a pretty good job in this game. And they be- And more importantly, Oregon's defensive staff trusted them because they were blitzing a ton. They were blitzing a ton, and when you blitz, it means that your DBs are on an island, and Oregon's DBs played on an island pretty well, and that was actually, you know, what happened in the game, and I don't, and really, if you break down the blitz rates and the success rates and the pass breakup rates, it doesn't change from the first half to the second half, They, it's just, you know, uh UNC was running some 50-50 plays, they came up heads in the first half, they came up tails in the second half, that isn't, it. It that just, that just happens. It doesn't mean that really Oregon did anything different. Um, it was just that's how the coin flips went. Um, and uh, uh, But it, I do think it was a concerted defensive strategy to Blitz as much as they did because they were going up against a pretty forward defensive line. And even though they don't really have an edge rush, um, what they do have is like every one of Oregon's defensive front players are better than every one of UNC's um, offensive linemen and tight ends in blocking. And they just sort of smashed them. Um, and it just frequently we're just like, We'll we'll throw bodies at the problem <laughs> and like and somebody will get through and, and like yeah, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> like, um it was just a it was a ton of a pass pressure in this game, um, from blitzing and, and what and 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 part of that doesn't surprise me because i do think oregon's interior defensive front is the best part of their defense um but part of mm-hmm. it does which is that like a lot of pretty young cornerbacks you know florence and manning and bridges um had pretty good games um which you know good for them um and uh uh uh, uh but you know really if you're looking for a takeaway from this game that's sort of like going forward like looking into 2023 which is, i think is the appropriate way to look at bowl games the mm-hmm. thing that i'm most like really happy about is you know, I said a second ago that Oregon is probably gonna lose um a few more dudes uh after you know when the when the dust settles from the bull game they get back to Eugene. Um because I think they're they're still in San Diego right now. Uh, or I don't know where the hell they are. Um but you know there's still dust to be settled. Um and I think that Oregon is definitely gonna have some, some extra attrition. Um and it'll happen before spring because you want to be able to get on your new campus before spring. Um, I think that Oregon's probably going to lose a few pieces off of the defensive line, but mostly guys who aren't playing, but they played six guys in the interior defensive line um, this year and in this bowl game. Um, all of whom, you know, I really think uh, uh, just, just incredible. So uh, Doris, uh Riley, um, Casey Rogers, uh, Taki Taimani, um, Ware Hudson, Keanu Williams, those six dudes. And, like those six dudes are big and Mm -hmm. and they trust all of them you know and and we're not even counting popo Amavai who's coming back at least as far as i can tell uh because he's yeah he he announced it yeah oh yeah did i miss that okay cool yeah um and it's not counting the two freshmen that they got sir Mel's and ben roberts who i think will be good too those are big guys um like you know, you may recall me discussing, you know, during the off season, where I was talking about like Oregon's new defensive coaching staff and like what the mint front is, is that they're, they're, they, the philosophical realization is that, that the, in modern college football, the past can hurt you more than the run. And so therefore you need to be allocating more resources to the past than to the run. But if you don't, allocate enough, then you get like a Washington under Quitkowski thing where the opponent just runs all over you. Mm-hmm. Right. And like, and as I know we've discussed on this podcast about a million times, if if you can run all over your opponent or your opponent can run all over you, that's it. The game is over because that's all that's going to happen. Right. Um, Because if you can consistently and efficiently and and explosively run the ball, then that's that's it. The game is over. It allows you to control every other aspect of the game. And so you need to meet a certain threshold of not getting run over. But once you meet that threshold, then you need to allocate your resources away to stopping the pass because the pass will hurt you more. And, and so like, that's basically the, the, the challenge that Oregon with this particular defensive front and this philosophy faces is how do you adequately, it doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be adequate defense of the run with as few resources as possible so that you can reallocate, you know, uh, the rest of it stopping the pass And I think that Oregon you know, uh, did strike that balance, or at least has been deliberately trying to strike that balance. And the way that you do it is you have a big, deep interior defensive line, which they had. They had six guys that they could rotate through, all of whom were really big, all of whom were good run stoppers. I'm going to have clips of my article, uh, as I do every single week, of showing, like, look, they don't have to put seven dudes in the box. That's the other thing, is you watch, like, Utah, for example, which has a pretty good rush defense. They're putting seven in the box against 11 personnel. Oregon's only putting six, Oregon's only putting six in the box and they're effectively stopping the run. And so when you look at like Oregon's rush defense numbers and you compare them to some other teams, like, yeah, there are some other teams that have, uh, you know, that, 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 that on paper have a a better rush defense, but they're doing it with more players in the box, Oregon having the rush defense that they have with only six guys in the box, because they have a great interior defensive line. That's big and deep is this secret weapon that Nobody else in the Pac-12 has, not even close, not even close. <laughs> now, is that the end-all be-all for the defensive line? No, they also need edge rushers, which they didn't have this year, and that definitely hurt them um, in a lot of different ways. But that foundational, like, and, and, and how you stop the run, it's more multifaceted than just having, you know, some some big defensive, interior defensive guys. But on the West Coast, that's the hardest piece to fill and it's the thing you know all six of those guys that i mentioned all of them i believe are coming back um and they're going to be adding to them. They're going to be adding Amavai and they're going to be adding, right. adding um, uh, Wells and Roberts and then whoever else, uh, you know, they get who's ready to play either as a transfer or as a freshman. So, like, this is a, a big, deep room that is Oregon's secret weapon. And it was great to watch him in this bowl game because, you know, what they did, they completely shut down UNC's run game, which, like, is not that hard. It's not a very good run game, but, like, it was so heartening to see. Like, yeah, that, that, that is the thing that Dan Lanning was trying to, you know, accomplish, you know, philosophically to set him up is like have a, have a group of defensive linemen that you trust that's deep um, to stop the run adequately enough so that you can reallocate the rest of your, you know, it's why you prefer smaller inside linebackers. It's why Jeff boss is getting so much play. Um, Cause like, He's made the calculation that it doesn't matter if that guy gets run over on get, if that guy gets run over on the occasional run play, I'll trade that off for his ability and pass coverage and blitzing. Cause that's what I really want. And that's his philosophy. And I'm not saying I necessarily agree with it. I, I'm not sure what I think, you know, frankly, in my own personal opinion, but I can tell you that is Dan landing's opinion. It's what he wants out of the defensive front um, for this to look like. Um, because the pass hurts you more than the run and so you know for all the negative plays on my tally sheet for keith brown and jeffrey Basso, who you started out asking me about like guess what they're all in the run plays and guess what i think the dan Lanning probably doesn't care because like the the nature of his you know philosophy is like i don't care if you occasionally get beat against the run the run's not going to kill you and not modern college football what i care about is you being um, good and pass coverage and when I ask you to blitz or to run sims that you do that effectively and for your football IQ to be high and and Boston and Brown check all those boxes sorry there was a very long way of answering that question but that's what I think about Boston and Brown well I
0: <laughs> I thought it was actually a good way to to conclude this unless you have any any additional hot thoughts about this holiday bowl
1: uh, no, I, you know, I, I, well, I said already that, uh, you know, you're the way that you phrased the question of like, why was the first half and second half different? And my answer was, I really looked for evidence that, that, that there was, and I didn't find any, with the exception of the last two drives on offense, Oregon goes into 11 personnel. That's definitely a change. Um, but otherwise like, no, everything was basically on schedule. And as they sort of probably intended it to be, and then that, Interception, man, it just like changed. (laughs) It changed the way that they had to strategically plan the game. And I think being out Kenny Dillingham and and then also Bo Nix not being super accurate, um, you know, uh, 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 meant that they were not as nimble when they were required to do that, as they might have been, and that's you know, finally the answer to the question. And so, even though it sort of looks like, oh, there must have been changes in the second half, I really don't think that was the case. I think it was they were on schedule and they got knocked off schedule, and then they had limited options to get back on schedule. But Bo Nix, you know, through some miracles, so cool, he's coming back. You know, uh,
0: I it's was why really... my
1: only tweet has been Bo <laughs> Nix in the giant. Um, you know, the, the, the cloaks that they put on over their, uh <laughs> you know, o- over their pads, which just make them look like, you know, monsters or emperors from anime, uh, yeah. is, you know, dread it, run from it, you know, bone nicks, you know, like he's coming for you, right? Like, that's why if you, you know, what, what did Mac Brown say before this game? If you've got a quarterback, you've got a shot.
0: Man, uh, the Pac-12 is gonna have a lot of shots next year. It's gonna be at least we'll have a lot of like, like high points talking to in our roster reviews next season about like, hey, but you got a hell of a quarterback here, uh, that can do a lot of fun stuff. I kept trying to convince myself that I was done caring about bowl games. That it's like, oh, we already won because we got the practice and that's all that matters. I, I need to just not care about what happens here, but. The second that Camden Lewis field goal, uh, or a point after, went in, um, I realized, no, I, I really do care about bowl game victories.
1: Yeah, man, it's really hard to tell your heart not to care about stuff. You know, what did Pascal <laughs> say? You know, Le raison, ne pas. Exactly. I was about to say the same thing. Uh, Hithloday, it's
0: always great talking to you. Uh, once again, go over to Addicted to Quack. Go look at these Duck Tapes. Uh, the greatest articles, greatest film breakdowns of our beloved team. Um, Duck Dives, Duck Tapes, all year around. You got to check it out. Addicted to Quack, and then on Twitter at Hithloday one H Y T H L O D A Y number one. And while you're there, might as well follow us at Quack Twelve Podcast as well. Hifliday, uh I imagine you're, so you got your article breaking down this game, but I imagine you're also going to be breaking down the, the season as a whole in a way, or you got anything well, like Well, I that? did
1: my statistical review of the team uh, after the conclusion of the regular season. That I, I mm-hmm. yeah, makes sense. Yeah, the the bowl game data is sometimes can be distracting. I don't I don't know. This wound up being a pretty similar performance to the rest of the season, so I don't know. Maybe I'll throw it in, um, but it's not going to change anything. So uh, yeah. you know, now my next project is going to be um, I'm going to start looking at Will tape at UTSA, nice, um, and try to figure out what Oregon's new offense is going to look like yeah i mean it was kind of nice that he wasn't
0: there for this game
1: you know <laughs> um yeah that that would have been weird i, I think it probably you know just preliminarily is going to be a little bit different from what dillingham was running um and so i don't know it probably wouldn't have been fair to ask him to to step in you know terminology is probably going to change and so forth I, I will say i'm not sure if i mentioned this on this podcast but like i did i consider myself a little prescient because um it's like way back in i think week two or uh, uh um uh, uh, what happened at ASU? Herm Edwards got fired after they lost to Eastern Michigan, which happened very early in the season. And mm-hmm. the instant he got fired um, and Oregon's offense was looking pretty good under Kenny Dillingham, those rumors started up. And so I was like, well, I better construct a hotboard. Um, and, and so I did. And, you know, the second thing that I realized was that like Dan Leaning isn't going to want like a crusty old timer um, for a variety of reasons. You know, one of You know, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, like I really like how analytically driven they are. And I like how young the staff is, you know, like he he doesn't seem to, you know, he, he I, the rate at which he goes for it on fourth down and the way that he manages the clock really mm-hmm. makes me think that, that he's, you know, much more analytically driven um, and and just sort of like new school, uh, for lack of a better term, yeah. in, in terms of like how football games are actually won and lost and not just sort of like, you know, ancient, you know, totemic, uh, uh, you know, beliefs that were laid down by you know by newt Rockney. even though i wind up repeating some of them about like running the ball for example um <laughs> like he definitely strikes me as a new school guy so i'm like okay i need to create a list of dudes who are as young as he is or younger and who are running top 20 offenses and there's really only three of them and will stein was one of them um and so i i you know i I started grabbing all the utsa film and and some of the other guys too um and uh and i really only needed to get one game you know their opener against houston via back channel um but otherwise Mm. i've been recording utsa games all season long for exactly this eventuality um and so they're all in my library dude like i've got you know literally every game that they played including the bowl game that they just played um uh, a little while ago um uh, although i don't think he was coaching in that game i just got it for completeness's sake anyway yeah it should be a good project I'm looking forward to it but it's going to take me a little bit um and you know what I'm going to take a little bit of a break uh, too cuz I've been going hard That's fair. Uh, since
0: august hitler day needs a holiday too I get it all right well uh, wonderful talking to you I'm sure we'll have you on uh maybe just for some fun bullshit but definitely also uh we'd love to talk will stein and duck football in general um yeah I'll, I'll see you around the day quack quack uh, it's my pleasure. I hope mean, you guys uh, have a good, happy New Year. Happy New Year.